Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Josh, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, Alan. Great to be here. Yeah, it's uh, good to have you in the office to be able to able to do this in person. Uh, I did get a book sent in advance uh, for those of you that are watching on, on the video. Uh, what parents want, and we're going to talk about uh, investing and money management for families. In particular, we're going to talk about newer families and maybe some older families as in parents and grandparents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would encourage anyone to pick up a copy of the book. Where can they go to find it? Uh, at the moment, go to Amazon, Kindle, um, also go in readings bookstores in Melbourne and coming to a few other bookstores. But yeah, probably the easiest way is jump on Amazon. Yeah, great. I'll put a link in the show notes to all of that. Uh, mate, before we get to you, why did you want to write a book? Yeah, good question. Um, probably one of the biggest drivers was just to try and help a greater uh, number of people. I think in the financial advice industry, um, just with the sort of regulations and compliance and so forth involved with providing um, personalized advice, you can only really, you know, sort mm. of service a certain number of, of clients. Whereas with a book, you can really put it out there to a broader audience um, at a really low price point. Um, so that was the main driver, just wanting to give more people insights and tips that will help them get better financial and lifestyle outcomes mm. um, and, yeah, get it. Get it out to the world. Yeah, for sure. I actually uh, was reading the book on a flight back. I think I was on the way back from Sydney. Um, And one of the things that struck me in the book was basically, and this is something we've spoken about on the show before uh, briefly, which is when you have mixed families and you're very Mm -hmm. candid and very honest about your story in here, running a business, you know, bring the family unit together. Can you, and you're uniquely placed because you are a business owner, but you're also a financial advisor, right? So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe talk to some of that stuff that which, which was covered in the book? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, in a nutshell, grew up in country Victoria, moved to Melbourne for university and have essentially been studying or working in the sort of financial advice, wealth management industry for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. So now- Actually, exactly half my life. Turned yep. forty a couple of weeks ago. Oh, happy birthday! Thanks, mate. Um, and in terms of my personal situation, um, yeah, went through a divorce about six years ago, um, and obviously a fair bit of 
learning comes with that in terms of you know the, the legal processes and um, obviously that just at a personal level readjusting your life etc mm. moved through that and then uh, repartnered and my partner's got two kids as well so we're now sort of that Brady bunch uh, <laughs> set up with four kids between us um, so yeah a lot of learnings come from that but a lot of positive as well in terms of just reevaluating how uh, that busy stage of life with running a business and having young kids, um, learning new ways to, to manage that more effectively. Um, as I said, not just financially, but in terms of the life you want to create for mm. yourself, your partner and your kids, and ultimately um, you know, what does success actually look like for you and getting real clarity on that and then making sure you're directing your, your time, energy and money towards those things. So through life experience and then the work experience of being a business owner, being a financial advisor, um, and having worked with hundreds of other families as well as clients, you definitely do start to see a lot of commonality in the things people are trying to achieve. Mm. But I think sometimes we all get caught up in thinking there is some secret, you know, <laughs> um, secret you know, way of achieving success or, or the right outcomes. But I can definitely say having worked with hundreds of families that you can really narrow it down to five or six very common goals that people have. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit of my own experience, both on the work front and personal front, mm -hmm. which um, is overlaid into the, you know, uh, tips and tricks in the book and also with the actual advice that we provide to clients. Mm. What were, like, one of the things I can imagine you running your own business, um, going through the divorce process and family, like, integration, mm. I, I feel like maybe if some people in your situation would like that would be a shock because you here you are as like a financial professional as well and you may have come across this when dealing with families but then experiencing it yourself would have been pretty trying right yeah so I guess what were some of the I guess the lessons that you learned and bring maybe not so much the the negatives but more so bringing the family unit together and then like adjusting how did you go about dealing with that yeah. Um, I think it's just communication is key um, in anything in life, really. Mm. That's probably one of the things I've, I have learned a lot, it definitely in the last six to ten years, being a yep. business owner, as I said, going through some challenging times as a, as a family, things like that. Just the importance of being inclusive of everyone's needs, thoughts, um, and having good proactive conversations about that. And I think as well that... That relates to money in the sense that you know money often is one of the um, things that can create struggles in a relationship if people have got different views on money or mm. you know one person's a spender or a saver. I talk about that in the book as well. How do you create harmony in the relationship and household around money and what you're actually trying to achieve with with your finances is important. So yeah, definitely just the open communication, having the awareness. For your partner or other family members and making sure that everyone's wishes are considered and then um, nothing's ever going to be perfect but trying to find that balancing point um, that works well for everyone is is vital mm. but often those conversations aren't had um, and that's in many cases the sorts of conversations we're having as advisors with people is yeah. it's giving them an environment and i guess a, almost a facilitator of those conversations in a way where it doesn't feel like an interrogation, but it's actually just asking the right questions 
um, and and giving space for everyone to to talk through what they're wanting and needing. Um, and I talk in the book about a concept I call wealth parties, and that's the the concept that for most people they don't think, oh, Saturday night I can't wait to get my budget out and <laughs> do my tax return. You know, it's not something that necessarily excites people. So I, um, you know, came up with a hashtag, make finances fun. So why can't it be a positive thing, especially if you make it less about the money and more about what the money can create and give you and your family? So a wealth party is this concept that you might go out to a nice restaurant, but some of that conversation could be about what are the things we're wanting to achieve and how are we going to do it? Or you could stay at home, put on your favorite music, pour a glass of wine or whatever it is you enjoy, maybe even get dressed up, order (laughs) some nice food, you know, make it enjoyable. And as I said, don't focus on the dollars, Mm. focus on what you actually want to enjoy in your life, what are the the things you're trying to achieve by working hard and by generating an income and things like that. And it just completely changes the, the conversation and mindset people might have about the topic and brings the, the people of the relationship together um, with a sort of a united set of goals to work towards. Mm. No, I like that. Just making an occasion of it too. It's a good, mm. it's a good excuse, right? <clears throat> Particularly, I'm imagining if one partner is less inclined to talk about money, Definitely. it may be the, the biscuit that gets them over the line. Um, we, we're going to talk about a few different strategies for younger parents or newer parents and um, grandparents, older parents. Uh, and it's just a really simple way to kind of identify with some of the struggles or some of the concerns or hopes that people have at certain stages of their life. And you mentioned this, I think you said you've got four kids between five and 14, is that yeah. right? Yeah. 14 in a few weeks. Yeah, yep. right. Okay. So there's a lot going on. Like they're at a stage where they want to learn about things as well. They're mm. asking questions and how the discovering how the world works uh, beyond themselves. And New parents are also discovering how the world works a lot of the time. Like I speak to a lot of people who, you know, they may have never invested, but all of a sudden they're thinking, well, kids, now it's time to, you know, roll up my sleeves and actually get started on this program of generating wealth and providing for my family. So when it comes to to that stage of life, uh, what are some of the ways people can start to prepare and plan and action some mm. of these strategies? Yeah, for sure. Well, the first thing is actually prioritizing some time and energy into it. As mm-hmm. I said, um, it's just not something people put enough time and effort into. Um, and anything in life that you're not giving enough attention won't get optimum results. So I think that's step one is more of a motivational comment. Mm-hmm. Of if you want better outcomes with your finances and what um, money can then provide to you, um, then you've got to actually put some time and effort into it. For sure. I always say to people, you know, you don't go to the gym once and then think you're going to be fit for the rest of your life. You've got to continue to exercise and look after yourself. And it's the same with with money. It's an ongoing process Mm -hmm. and need to put some ongoing time and effort into it. But when doing that, and especially when starting out with that, you need to have clarity over where you're trying to take things. So, um, and you want that to be a reasonably succinct set of goals that are prioritized. So what I say to people is what, when, how much? What things do you want? Mm-hmm. How, When do you want them by? And how much do they 
how, how much financial resources are required to achieve them. So to use an example for myself at the moment, we're um, renovating our kitchen. So that's a thing we want, costs mm-hmm. X, and we're actually probably going to do it next week okay, through great. the planning process. Um, we also then want to maybe put in a pool and do some work to our yard, all right, when, how much, etc. So there's some sort of lifestyle elements. Mm-hmm. And then a more financial example is um, having just turned 40, I, you know, you start to reflect a little bit more on some of these mm-hmm. uh, milestones. So I can access, like most people, my superannuation around age 60. So what I've done is set up an investment that I'll be able to access at age 50 outside of super without having to meet all those rules of accessing super. Um, and I've got a, a goal and a regular investment plan in place to hit a certain number by that age. So that I've given myself choices and options. So they're just a couple of examples of things I want. I know when I want them and I know how much is going to be required. So that's where people should start because mm-hmm. once you've got the clarity of the goals and the quantity of quantum of the goals, that's when you can kind of backfill from there and start putting strategies in place around what actions are required to, to hit those things. But just as importantly, you're taking away the noise of the stuff that doesn't matter. Um, you might start out with a list of 10 things and then think, hang on a minute, no, I actually really only need or want six of them. And that gives you a real purpose and clearer way to um, move towards it. I always talk about kind of putting the blinkers on and mm. just blocking out the noise, blocking out the distraction, um, especially in this day and age and world. Don't worry about what your neighbor's saying or your colleague's saying or what the news is saying. What What is it that you're working towards um, and what's required to, to hit those things that are going to give you the highest payoff um, and happiness? Mm, I like that. There's so much noise, as you said, mm. these days. Um, it's on your phone. It's everywhere. Uh, so you mentioned there that, that you would be targeting something that maybe pays off for you at 50, like so, some sort of event, some financial liquidation event or something like that. And we just was talking about insurance bonds. So is that where... Mm. Is that what you're talking about? For me, it is. And obviously, I'm just using it as an example. Um, Can you explain what they are for people that don't know much about them? Yeah, I think they are an area where there's not a lot of awareness of -hmm. of how they work, um, the fact that they exist. But essentially, it's um, a way of investing um, through a structure that's governed by the, the Life Insurance Act, but it's not an insurance product. It's actually an investment product. Um, and the main benefits of them are that you can start investing with you know, a, a small or a large amount and you can keep adding to it each year. Um, but the biggest benefit of using something like that instead of just investing in your own name is the after-tax outcomes that can be achieved. So there's a few, way that's, few ways that's um, generated. First of all is the tax environment, the income tax environment that... Um, the, the legislation around that provides, so lower tax rates than marginal tax rates on the income. Um, you then got the benefit that depending on which product you use, the way they handle the internal um, portfolio management can create some much better after-tax returns as well. But the one that's really beneficial is if you hold the bond for 10 years or more, when you then redeem anything, um, you don't pay any capital gains tax. So if you factor in all those different elements of having a regular investment plan that's generating returns, low income tax, 
uh, more effectively managed internal portfolio management and then no CGT, then the, the overall after-tax returns could be significantly higher, especially for someone who might be on the, the higher marginal tax rates. Mm. So that's where the benefit can come. Um, it's also got a lot of uh, flexibility around potential like future event transfer. So say um, if you want to pass it to a child at a certain age or life event or things like that. So um, that that's some of the main benefits. Historically, we probably used them a lot more for um, parents who are wanting to save in advance for private school fees. But now we're seeing a lot more uses just for general investment purposes and wealth accumulation, as well as um, potential sort of intergenerational wealth transfer and things like that. Mm. Yeah, so being quite familiar with them. So just to clear, clarify or summarize, um, the insurance bond is taxed separately. So it's kind of like, it's like super in a way in that money is put somewhere that is not in your taxable name, but it pays tax at its own rate. Uh, so it can have favorable advantages for people who are on a higher marginal tax rate. And then you can contribute a certain amount every year without breaking that rule of the tax-free 10-year rule. But if you do break that rule, then it resets. Mm. So you have to be mindful of it. There are rules around that. Um, uh, yeah, I had some experience with them in the past. So you could use this as you are. So this could be some a strategy for younger parents and, and family units, but it could also be an option for older folks that are using it as well. Mm. How would it differ for say, stereotypical grandparents. Yeah. I think that's where, well, the, the private school fees one is still relevant. There's a very high percentage of private school fees are paid by grandparents. So rather than maybe just paying them when they fall due, mm. if they've got a bit of high um, foresight, you know, to say, all right, well, I know that grandchild was born last year and they're going to go to secondary private schooling, yeah. um, then they've probably got a you know roughly a 12-year runway there. So that's one opportunity. But separate to that, I think the estate planning um, opportunity with, with the bonds is um, a really good one as well. So any, um, any funds held in an investment bond is a non-estate asset, so it doesn't fall into someone's will. Um, so it can give greater um, direction, I guess, of where those funds will go um, can circumnavigate the fact that a lot of wills, unfortunately, do get challenged and there's yeah. of, often a lot of issues with estate planning and, you know, family's not always showing their best side, unfortunately, when, when money's involved in estates and things like that. So yeah. it means that a grandparent could direct funds directly to um, kids or grandkids without it getting caught up in the estate planning process. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the other... The other benefit is if you're wanting to actually involve um, your kids and grandkids in the in the journey of investing and um, helping them understand some of the key concepts about investing, then that's a, a really good opportunity as well is at the right time and when the, the grandkids are at a sufficient age to have a bit of understanding, you could bring them into the conversation and say, well, this is what it is and you don't necessarily have to talk about figures but more conceptually around this, what it is, what's, what it's for, um, how investing works, start talking about some of the common concepts like compounding and the impact of, of time um, and possibly even transition the investment to a child or grandchild in future 
that they can continue contributing to um, because they've had enough education to realise that you know the power is in the ongoing growth and and contribution to that investment pool. But I think the the benefit from that perspective is um, you know the, the sort of common um, analogy of teach a man to fish versus giving man to fish if you just gift your grandchild something at age 18 and they spend it on a car or a house they haven't actually learned anything mm. yes it helps them get a leg up but have they actually got a lesson and understanding of how to continue to grow their own wealth going forward probably not so i think that's the other element of something like a bond is um it's tax effective it's estate planning effective but you could use it as a way to bring the next generation into the conversation um, and help them continue to grow wealth going forward. Can this is maybe a technical question? You may not know straight off the top of your head, but I'm, I'm guessing you might. Is um, <clears throat> if can you transition the bond to someone else? So yes. So say if you had it and you kept it going, but then you wanted to give it to your kids, they could basically take control of it. Yeah. Yeah, right. So it doesn't have to like you don't have to like cash it in and then start again or anything no. like that. Well, that's that's mighty powerful then, isn't it? Because yeah. you can just continually do it. Yeah. And yeah. so I'd imagine a lot of parents maybe, and maybe this is the way you think about it, or maybe not, is because there's that twenty five percent limit to add twenty five. Yeah, yeah, one hundred twenty five to to add to it each year. Yeah. Um, you could do it so that it's on their birthdays or something like that instead of doing. Here's a, a gift, you know, on your sweet 16th. Here's mm. like, uh, put, we're putting money into this thing. And like you said, it's an occasion to talk about it. Yeah. And then it just keeps rolling. It yeah. just keeps rolling and rolling. Yeah. 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 So it gives you a lot of flexibility um, as to how you want to use it um, or how the future generations might use it. But um, yeah, it opens up the conversation. I'm even finding, not that I talk about it a lot at home, but, you know, just little things are coming up with. Um, particularly my partner's kids who are a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of them we like, oh, you just made more money sitting on the couch on your phone than I've made in my whole life. Like <laughs> the little comments, like having a joke and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, probably, but what do you want to know about it? Yeah. You know, what do you want to learn? Yeah. So um, he's showing a little bit of interest and um, I think look to set something like that up with them is a good one as well. So they might only have very small amounts of money um, when they you know get their first part-time job or something like that. But it's not so much about the amount. It's more about the habits, the lessons, the education, building in those habits for the long term so that when their incomes do grow, they've got the knowledge that they understand the power of investing regularly for long periods of time. Um, and in you know today's generations, probably especially anyone, say, my age and below, there is that real desire for things like passive income streams and being able to earn income without having to to work and things like that. But mm. you can only achieve that if you actually build up the capital base to start with. Um, and if we can teach our kids and grandkids how to do that, then we're giving them a lifelong sort of education and gift. And more importantly, they're able to put themselves in a position at a much younger stage of life where they'll have far greater choice and flexibility around what they do with their money, how much they have to work, things like that. Mm. In your opinion, what are some of the downsides that people should consider about bonds before maybe when, well, when they're thinking about it? Uh, probably just being aware that there is that, with the capital gains tax side, there is that rule around, um, so from eight years onwards, you get a capital gains tax benefit. 
So eight and nine there's a benefit, ten there's no capital gains tax. So just being aware of that, that you know, if you do think you're going to pull it out before then, then you won't get that benefit. But that's not necessarily a reason not to do it. Um, you've got that 125% rule. So you can only add up to 125% this year compared to the amount you put in the prior year. So if you put in 1000 bucks this year, next year you could do 1250 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But you can set up multiple bonds if that's the problem, um, but just a little bit less flexibility. Um, most of the product providers have pretty broad investment menus, so no major restrictions on that, but there would be other places where you're going to have a, a broader investment menu. Yep. Um, that'd be a couple of examples, but overall, nothing huge to deter people from it, especially if they've potentially got that um, higher income tax reason to do it, uh, or maybe the, the estate planning driver of how they can pass money down to different generations um, with greater control. How about, uh, and you would have come across these quite a few times, is that education bonds, which is, as far as I know, from a regulatory perspective, very similar, mm -hmm. but they're kind of, the use case seems to be a little bit different. Yeah, it is. And there's a couple of different providers out now as well, where maybe some of the tax opportunities are even greater, depending on how you structure it and things like that. But yeah, it's probably going into an area where you do need to have that greater depth of discussion to understand the client's situation. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit more complex. Yeah, to, I remember get your head around. looking at some of the obviously disclosures and PDSs and all that sort of stuff. I remember looking at some of them and the rules of what can and can't be paid for with one. Yeah. And some people miss the boat on what could be paid for, then realize they've got this money that they can't spend yeah. on that thing anymore. So a bit more record keeping required. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, definitely worthwhile for people, but um, bit bit more complexity to those ones. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of other things here that we want to talk about. One of those is for the for maybe for the newer parents. We are generalizing here when we suggest that they're younger. Say, mm. but one of those things is using debt. We're taught from a young age that debt equals bad, right? Mm. But that's not the case for everything, or at least that's what I'm hoping you'll say. Yeah. Um, so how do you think about that for mm. for parents and for family units? Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, you might recall the, the old Clint Eastwood movie series called <laughs> The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I did a little bit of a take on that in my book. I think it was The, the Ugly the good and the bad, maybe around the other way. But basically what I spoke about there was debt can be bad if it's at a situation where it's what I call ugly debt. So basically that's where you're lying awake at night, um, you're, you're fearful, you're at risk, you've overextended yourself, um, interest rates are obviously now rising, something that essentially we hadn't seen for 40 years, like yes, they have gone up in 40 years, but it's been a downward trend overall. Um, that's where you've taken on too much debt. You haven't factored in the potential of rising rates, rising costs, haven't built in a buffer if you've lost your job or income or circumstances changed. And you're actually, yeah, you are putting your yourself at high stress and pressure mm. and you may be forced to sell an asset or something that, that you don't want to. So that's that's ugly debt and that's the place you definitely don't want to go to. So if you're using debt for any purpose, whether it's for lifestyle reasons like buying a home or investment purposes, you've got to make sure that your loan to value ratio, so the amount of debt compared to the equity value of your 
assets isn't too high. Um, and you also need to make sure you've got appropriate things in place like a stable income to repay the debt, um, things like income protection insurance in case something went wrong so that you can continue the strategy and not be a forced seller of any assets. Mm. You've then got um, what we call bad debt, and that is debt that you can't claim any tax deductions for, so things like a borrowing for a car or putting a holiday on a credit card, even buying a home. You can't claim the cost of the, the interest and the cost of the home itself, such as maintenance and rates and insurance in your in your tax return. So that's an area where you, you probably don't want to have too much debt if you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. But of course, we do all have lifestyle goals. Um, but yeah, obviously recommend against putting things like holidays and <laughs> clothes and cars on credit cards or, or borrowing too heavily for them. Um, with cars, obviously, it's pretty common for business owners maybe to to finance that through a business that's a little bit different. But avoiding um, bad debt is preferred. Or if you do have it, for example, to buy a home, then generally you want to be reducing that type of debt first um, because there's no no major tax or financial benefits in it necessarily. Mm-hmm. The place where there's a, a real potentially an opportunity for people and, and maybe the one that people should be considering instead of just having this mindset of, pay off all debt, debt is bad, is uh, good debt. So that's where you borrow money for investment purposes, whether it be to buy property or shares. Um, You then invest that money so you've got a greater investment pool because you didn't have that money available yourself. All the costs associated with that loan are tax deductible. So typically it's probably more effective for people on higher, higher tax rates, higher incomes. But the aim there is obviously to generate a return through income and or capital growth that is greater than the cost of the, the finance. So if, for example, you're borrowing now at, say, around 4 or 5%, then can you go and invest that money at something that will generate a greater return than that? Um, you'll claim a tax deduction for the costs, and therefore you're essentially growing your wealth with, with someone else's money. So that's an area that can be an opportunity, again, needs to be done in the right ways um, and factoring in the individual circumstances. But um, you know, to your initial question, not all debt is a bad thing and um, used in the right way, it actually can be a helpful tool for, for growing wealth. Mm. Yeah. Do you see clients most likely doing this with uh, lines of credit um, against the home, like secured against the home? Yeah, that's pr- in many ways that's probably preferred because if you're securing it, um, if you're securing um, stocks, for example, with a margin loan, then you are opened up to a bit more risk. So you can incur what's called a margin call, and that's where if markets have have dropped, the value of portfolio drops, then that loan to value ratio I mentioned earlier, the LVR, mm-hmm. if that gets to a certain point, you've either got to sell holdings. Um, or add more cash in, which you may not have um, available. Mm. So, yeah, using property as security is an easier, uh, sort of stable way to do it. Um, possibly might get slightly better interest rate as well. But, um, yeah, the margin lending option is still a viable one to consider, but just being aware of some of those risks and um, definitely not over leveraging through that type of structure would be important. 
Yeah, yeah, I definitely find the preferred option amongst our communities is um, lines of credit against home mm. when there's equity to redraw. Um, it's definitely the, the preferred option there. Um, okay, so there's a couple more. And um, one of, well, I guess there's one more that uh, I think this comes back to this idea of like when you get on a plane, they say, put on your own mask and vest before you put it on your toddler, <laughs> yep. uh, which is like protecting your, your own assets before and, and becoming, in my instance, in my case, and what we see is like becoming financially literate. Like you can't teach mm. someone else until you've, you know, the basics yourself, right? Yeah. And so there are numerous ways that this can be done, but I've seen this up close a few times as people approach retirement. I say this is a great time to get advice. I mm. think it's probably the most important time if I had to pick one uh, because there's so much opportunity and you want that clarity. Yeah. So can you maybe just talk to that a bit about like, when, if you've got, say, grandparents thinking, I want to provide for kids, I want to provide for my grandkids, but I also need to take care of myself. Like, how do you step through that process? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd say the the clear life stages we see with clients, and again, we're generalizing with ages here, but just to give a bit of a, a gauge of what is common, um, is sort of that, you know, 30 to 50 is you're having the kids, you bring them up, you're probably at your highest cost phase of, of raising the kids um, and obviously that might continue into 50s a bit as well then in the 50s probably the mid 50s depending on how um, desperate people are to re retire early mm. um, people are starting to eye off well if I'm going to retire it in my 60s say I've got between five and 15 years to put myself in the position I need and want to be in so if we're focusing in a bit more on that kind of phase for this topic what I find is people just don't know what they're going to need. That they're they're not sure how much they might need in superannuation or in general. Mm. Um, they're not sure how much they might be spending because they they maybe just starting to come out of that phase of maybe they have paid down the mortgage now. Maybe they have stopped paying the school fees and the kids are becoming a bit more independent and a bit less costly. So it's a big transition phase, particularly on the expense side. In many instances, they're probably also at their peak earning capacity at that point in time. So, yeah, talking through and, and envisaging um, where they're at now, but more importantly, again, when they think they might want to either retire or wind down, that's another thing I'm finding these days is people aren't necessarily wanting to just completely stop working. Um, with things like um, work from home and using Zoom and more flexibility in the workforce now, I think people are happy to keep working if they've got some flexibility and they know they could work from anywhere um, and kind of enjoy the lifestyle they want but still get some stimulation and some income and whether whether their driver is lifestyle or um, financial to keep working a bit, it doesn't really matter but there is that more open-mindedness, I think. Um, so it's just getting clear on what they think it might might look like and I was at, having the exact conversation with a client yesterday and starting to you know they're probably five to seven years out of when they might stop slash wind it back mm. and starting to plan for that now and what we find is really helpful is for people to do some deeper analysis of the numbers and project forward their potential position in two ways so the first one is all right let's say it's seven years from now what are you going to where are you going to need to be at in terms of your um, different investments and the sorts of income and outcomes they'll generate for you so that if the income stops or reduces, you know that 
um, what you think you're going to want to spend is, is going to be covered. And then the second point is projecting that forward, say, 30 years. Now, of course, the longer the projection, the less accurate it becomes. But if you use somewhat conservative numbers around potential returns and living costs and inflation and these sorts of things, then you, you actually can get it pretty accurate. Um, and having now done this for about 20 years, I've, I've seen some 20-year projections, hmm. and it is surprising. Yeah, right. they, are, they are pretty good, like pretty accurate to, to the outcomes. So then you, you're putting yourself in a position now to give yourself a seven-year runway, for example, to really maximize your position, take action, put things in place, um, implement strategies to um, basically create that self-funded retirement with choices, not have to rely on things like government or age pension or anything like that. But you're also helping yourself see, all right, if I did do that and if I then had the lifestyle I envisage and I actually genuinely want and for 30 years beyond that, I'm confident that you know, I'm going to outlast my money yeah. essentially. So, yeah, I find that's a really valuable process for people to go through sort of in their 50s, um, definitely before 60. <laughs> um, but the earlier in the 50s, the better because if you've got a longer runway, you're giving yourself greater opportunity to maximise the, the outcome. But you're also giving yourself greater choice because if you do it at 50, by 58, you might have hit, hit your goal and you can retire or change then versus yeah. having to keep maybe working longer because you did it a bit later on. Do you find, say, like if you had 10 clients do this, do you find how many of them would you say are surprised positively by it? I'd say most, yeah. Yeah, right. The, the greater proportion. Because um, I've seen this happen up close. Like I've seen yeah. people go through this and, see, yeah. and that you can – some of them are just – I've seen some – People cry when yeah. they do it, you know? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I call it the you are going to be okay moment. Like, it's when they see for themselves, oh, we're actually going all right here. Like, this is good. Yeah. Um, I think, as I said, especially if they have had kids, because they've been so busy and bogged down for 20 years in the mortgage and the cost of the kids and just crazy hecticness, mm. um, they've never stopped to actually think and look at the numbers too much. So, um, and often people have, you know, maybe done a pretty good job just by almost by default of paying off the home or adding to super. Yeah, you know, super obviously now having that sort of um, legislated contribution element is helping us all a lot because a certain amount is going there no matter what. Um, but obviously, there's the tax advantages of, of putting more in there as well. So yeah, overall, um, I think most clients um, get a get a pretty good result from it. Mm. But of course, it's pretty broad. You've got people with less money with um, higher spending patterns and living <laughs> desires and then you often have people with more money who have a lower lower needs um, so it's all horses for courses for sure it is mate if um, if people wanted to so we've got the book which is available on Amazon mm. but if people wanted to get in contact with you at, at prosper where yep. where can they go to do that yeah so our website's just prosperadvisory.com.au. Cool. so jump on there um, and off the back of the book I also have just set up social handles which is at the family finance guy on Facebook and insta 
Yeah, sweet. All right. Well, links will be in the show notes to all of that. But, mate, I really do appreciate you taking some time to, to come into the big smoke and yeah. uh, to have a chat with me in the studio and uh, and talk through investing for families. If you do have any kids or you do uh, want us to talk more about this and you want Josh back on the show, please write in to me. Uh, you know where to find me. Uh, we get a lot of comments, mate, that come through. So I'm sure people will um, definitely follow up with that. And there was actually one comment recently from a listener who wrote in to talk about like mixed families and integration. Yeah, and, sure. And it's, it's a thing, right? It's super important to yeah. so many people. So if you are in that boat and you want us to talk about things or if you have questions, please send them in and we can uh, ask Josh to come back into the city and, and, and join us for round two. But mate, appreciate you taking the time today. No, thanks for having me. Really, really passionate about it. Um, obviously living and breathing it myself. Mm. Um, I know it's a, a busy time, but as I like to say, it's, it's vital that people enjoy the journey, not the destination, because otherwise, what's the point? So hopefully there's a few ideas for people to, um, to achieve that. Yeah, great. Thanks again, mate. Cheers. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.